You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily podcast on the Kentucky Wildcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, what is going on, Big Blue Nation? Welcome on into Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. I'm your host, Lance Dahl, writer for Sports Illustrated for various SEC-related things. But on this podcast, we take a dive into all things Kentucky athletics. On today's episode of Locked On Kentucky, we are joined by Andy Patton of the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Well, rather, I joined him to have a conversation about Kentucky, where they're headed, thoughts on Calipari, Thoughts on this season as a whole, the turnaround, heading into the NCAA tournament, a lot of different topics that we covered about Kentucky with Andy Patton. I would highly encourage you guys to go check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. It's wherever you get your podcast. Andy Patton, Isaac Shade, co-host there over on that pod. They do a phenomenal job, and I love hopping on with them to talk every single time they bring me on. So, without further ado, here's our conversation with Andy Patton. After what looked like a completely disastrous season, I know you remember the discourse around this team a few months ago. I certainly remember the discourse around this team a few months ago. People were calling for Coach Calipari's head. There was just a mass frustration around this team. Here we are. It's a day before March. Many of you might be listening to this already in March. And the Kentucky Wildcats are a nationally ranked team. They're 23rd in the country. How? Lance Daw, talk to me. How did we get to this point where this team is now from this coach is going to get fired and this program is a complete disaster? We're not going to make the NCAA tournament to being a top 25 team. How did we get here? Well, Andy, I think it's been kind of a hodgepodge of things, but at the end of the day, it's just about winning. Kentucky turned it around by beating Mm -hmm. teams that a lot of people following that South Carolina loss on January 10th, Mm -hmm. a lot of teams Kentucky's beaten that people just didn't think. Uh, the Wildcats could handle Mm -hmm. Uh, at that point in the season, Kentucky had shown defensively that they were not good at a Mm -hmm. variety of things, particularly defending the rim. And all of a sudden Kentucky's offense, I think uh, since that point has just Mm -hmm. kind of turned things around and you can contribute it to some of the players performance. Definitely. I think Jacob Toppin and guys like Chris Livingston have upped their game here, uh, especially over these past seven or eight games. But um, it's something Andy where, I'm going to have to kind of uh, kind of eat my words on what <laughs> I said a few weeks ago about Coach Cal. Now, mm-hmm. I will also say this. At the time following that loss to USC, there were a lot of legitimate concerns and complaints with the direction of the program. I, sure. I certainly think that what Calipari was doing with the team was frustrating a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. Valid. It was all valid. I think 100% some of the criticisms on Cal were valid. Um, calling for his job is one thing mm-hmm. saying that the rotation needs to be tweaked and certain things need to be adjusted is another mm-hmm. one thing that I think I came on to your show and talked a lot about was mental confidence, mental yep. stability. I think with this program with these players and coach Cal has found a way to kind of get these kids to rally and mm-hmm. I think focus up and we saw it. Uh, I think the pinnacle of it and this most recent blowout against Auburn, which we'll talk about later on. But mm-hmm. overall, again, at the end of the day, it's just about getting these kids together, playing mm-hmm. their ba- brand of basketball, scoring a lot of points, being efficient, I think is probably one of the biggest things, and mm-hmm. just winning games. Well, and I think you kind of touched on it there a little bit of how much of this turnaround has been driven by players, driven by Coach Calipari, driven by scheduling. I mean, quite honestly, you look at six of their last eight is what, is what they've won since that loss to Kansas. And uh, 
they've beat some good teams in there. Don't get me wrong. Tennessee, fantastic program. One of the top tier teams in the SEC. Kentucky beating them, that's huge. Uh, Auburn has slipped quite a bit lately, but you know they've been ranked for huge chunks of the season. And to beat them the way that Kentucky did is, is fairly significant. Mississippi State's been a bubble team at times. You know, Florida has been fine uh, they haven't been great this year but they are you know they're not a team that you can just gloss over necessarily but i'm curious like you kind of touched on it a little bit already too but cal some of the games earlier in the season were i think it's fair to say poorly coached i don't think that 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 them winning games now and being on a hotter streak and being back in the top 25 necessarily means that you know, I think he, I, I've said this on this podcast before. I will say it again. I think he coached a bad game against Gonzaga. Like, I really don't think that what he did from a game plan perspective worked and not making adjustments in that game was kind of flummoxing to me, quite honestly. I was like, I think that there's things they can do differently. But, you know, holding a, a November loss over Cal in as we get into March is, is a little silly. And I'm not saying we should do that, but it doesn't necessarily erase some of the early season mistakes. So again, you kind of touched on it already, but I'd like to explore a little bit more like how much of the recent turnaround you say, some of it's mental, some of it's kind of getting these kids head, right. Do you think Cal had a role in that? Do you think that his actual X's and O's have changed for the better as we get closer and closer to the NCAA tournament? I think some of these individual matchups, I've liked what Kentucky has done in terms of X's and O's. I would say that what Cal has contributed is, I think, better utilization of the players that he has on hand that are efficient in one way or another. And I would also say the rotation, his utilization yeah. of the, what Kentucky has um, just overall with these individual players, I think has definitely been, I'll say, interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's sustainable. That's mm -hmm. my whole thing. So yeah. against Florida just two games ago, Kentucky played uh, seven or eight guys, but they're starting five. The minutes went like this. It went 38, 39, 39, 38, and 35 for the entire starting five. Uh -huh. You can't do that through March. You're mm -hmm. physically not going to be able to get through March. But I do credit him with identifying that, look, in order to get through some of these games where you've got to grind it out, the win against Mississippi State was extremely tough. The win against Florida, while it was an eight-point win, was very tough. you got to play your best players. Yeah. And utilizing them in different ways through his offense, I think, has been the thing that has propelled them to some of these wins. Now, again, I want to reiterate, a lot of this is player confidence. A lot of this is players mm -hmm. just stepping up. It's not Cal saying for each individual player in every single given moment, oh, you go do this, you go do this, you go do this, and everything's mm -hmm. producing an efficient result. But he has kind of taken his hand and guided this smaller rotation, I think a little bit better than he did earlier in the season. I remember him saying before the season started in a video that, look, we bring back all of this talent but it's going to take some time for this team to actually work out and develop. And mm -hmm. a lot of people were questioning those comments, including me earlier before the season started. I'm like, what is he going on about? Like, right. if we have time to practice and we mm -hmm. have, then this team should be one of the best in the nation based on all the talent on roster. And as we got to see, the team clearly didn't have a lot of chemistry. I think yeah. even leading all the way up into the middle of January and things just kind of turned around. So credit some of that to Cal. I definitely think some of it from an X's and O's perspective, and again, picking and choosing the right spots for these players and calling their numbers at the right time. But also, I do think it is on the players. They're not just mm -hmm. robots out there doing what they're told every single play. Antonio Reeves is a guy that I think has significantly stepped up when it comes to 
finding the right places and times to get a three-pointer up and down. He has been extremely efficient shooting the basketball. Another guy that has been really efficient for the Wildcats. And I keep coming back to that word because I think it is the biggest thing at the end of the day. Through some of these grind-out wins, you'll notice that Kentucky is shooting what, like against Auburn. They shot 50-40-90. It was actually like, what, 50-61-90, I'm not mistaken. Uh, It's just picking and choosing your spots with guys like Toppin and Reeves. Toppin Mm -hmm. has been somebody that I've been very impressed with uh, since the beginning of SEC play. I think he's a first-round pick. Chris Livingston is somebody that Cal has utilized more at the three spot in this rotation, uh, making him somebody that's become one of the team's best rebounders. Right. Even Oscar Shibwe at this point jokes whenever it happens like, oh, I out-rebounded Chris today. Uh, I believe actually in that Florida game, he, Chris had 15 rebounds wow. uh, and six of them were offensive, if I'm not mistaken. So it's mm-hmm. just a lot of players finding their right gear, finding their right spot on this team. Uh, thankfully, like you mentioned, at the beginning of March, it's at the right time. Well, more with Lance coming up in the second segment, talking about Kentucky's upcoming games and what they need to do in order to make that big run in the NCAA tournament in order to follow what North Carolina did last year. Before we get there, though, today's episode of the Locked On College Basketball Podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all of the fat and calories, then you've got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little bit healthier this year. If you're like me, where you want to eat healthier, but you don't want to compromise taste, then man, I've got just the thing for you. You've got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they are so delicious that you won't think they're good for you. They are perfect for your a few months delayed New Year's resolutions. What makes Built Bars so good? Well, for starters, they are covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. They have only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs at your nearest Walmart or Sam's Club today today. All right, Lance, want to keep talking. John Calipari, Kentucky Wildcats, what we got going on. You kind of mentioned the the building of early season struggles, getting the whole group together and everything. And I relate that a little bit to, to my school, to Gonzaga. I've talked about that on the podcast before, and they kind of had similar early season struggles of you know, playing a really tough non-conference schedule, having some younger guys stepping into roles they hadn't really filled before. Uh, and as we've started to see, this team for Gonzaga at least has started to peak at around the right time, and we're starting to see that with Kentucky as well. So uh, my question to you before we get into the upcoming games for uh, for the Wildcats is really how important do you think peaking at the right time is? It's always fun to be the number one team in the country on December 1st, but it's a little bit more important to be the number one team in the country on March 1st, or at the very least do what Kentucky has done and kind of climb their way back up into the top 25. How important do you think that is when you look at like uh, success in the NCAA tournament? I definitely think that it's significant for some of these teams that have less talent or Mm -hmm. they're not necessarily as talented as Mm -hmm. some of the elites. I mean, you look at a team like Alabama, I mean, they can still play their worst brand of basketball 
mm-hmm. and beat teams like South Carolina on the road. And mm-hmm. it's never easy to win on the road, especially in a place like the SEC. Mm-hmm. You can be playing like Houston, where you just have all of this talent and you can make your way through a schedule, yeah. still play poorly heading into March and mm-hmm. find a way to l- rely on your defense and to get through certain games, just kind of grind it out. I think the top tier teams definitely do benefit from peaking at the right time, but it's some of these middle of the pack in the top 25, I Mm -hmm. think, or maybe lower than that, that if they're shooting right, if the chemistry's there, if the playbook's working, all of these things are coming together, peaking at the right time, Mm -hmm. certainly does become effective to the point where you can beat just about anybody. And so, like we've talked about, we looked at Kentucky right now. I mean, they've won, like you said, six out of their last eight. They've Mm -hmm. won four straight albeit against not phenomenal competition, but they're winning and they're Mm -hmm. playing really, really, really good basketball, especially considering when you look at this last game. So for teams like Kentucky, and I'm not saying that they're less talented, I'm just saying for teams like Kentucky that have not found their stride up until this point, Mm -hmm. it's significant that you find your spot heading into March because if you don't, you're going to end up with a really cold shooting performance or a bad defensive outing, and it's going to absolutely crush you. Well, looking ahead at at Kentucky's schedule right now, speaking of not playing some of the greatest teams, they got Vanderbilt on Wednesday. Uh, no disrespect to Jerry Stackhouse and his program, but we're going we're gonna to move past that game. We're going to talk about the Arkansas game that they have on Saturday because that feels like a big one. If I'm not mistaken, I don't have it on the notes, but I believe it's at Arkansas yes. for that game. So that's going to be a really, really tough matchup. Arkansas, a, a team that has, has dealt with a lot of injuries, obviously that's been kind of the big story for that program this year, but a really dangerous, really talented team that went to the Elite Eight last year. Looking at that matchup, a team that beat Kentucky already earlier this season, it's nice that Kentucky doesn't feel like, I assume at least, they don't feel like they're in a position where a loss here potentially puts them back on the bubble. I think they've kind of cleared beyond that, but this is still a pretty important game in terms of carrying some momentum into the SEC tournament, picking up another marquee win, maybe even moving up a seed line. Like, How are you kind of approaching this game? How do you feel going into this game, and kind of what do you think Kentucky needs to do to, to come out with a victory here? Yeah, they don't like you said, they don't need this to get into the NCAA tournament, but they need it for a lot of other reasons. I think part of it is making sure that you hold on to that third seed in the SEC tournament uh, heading into there to make sure that you get a double double buy. And the reason that that's important, Andy, is because if you end up sliding to that fourth spot, you're going to have to play Alabama more than likely if you come out. And I would much rather play Texas A&M, Tennessee, Auburn, one of those teams, as opposed to a team like the Crimson Tide. So this game against Arkansas is important for that reason, but also like you mentioned, moving up the seed line. Kentucky, mm-hmm. if they can find a way to get out of this 7-10 to 10 seed range yeah. where they don't have to play or a 2 or a 1 seed, which mm-hmm. the field this year is, I would say, significantly more even than, mm-hmm. than past years in terms of just looking at it on paper. But sure. it's it still, if Kentucky can get to that where they're maybe playing a 3 seed in the round of 32, I like Kentucky's chances way more, I think, to go on a deep run in the NCAA tournament. So, Uh, Just kind of finding that extra quad one victory on the road against Arkansas would be very important for the Wildcats and what they want to do in terms of draw uh, in the postseason. As far as the individual matchup itself goes, Nick Smith is back for the Razorbacks, and he looked really good against Alabama, one of the best teams in the country. Mm -hmm. I'm concerned with the Razorbacks because of the way that they blew Kentucky out previously. Something, again, like I mentioned, Kentucky has not done well all season is protect the rim. Arkansas continued to just hound uh, the Wildcats inside with a lot of different players, by the way. It wasn't just one player just going Mm -hmm. off. So I view that game... I don't want to say it's unwinnable, but it seems unlikely to me at this point, even with all the momentum that Kentucky has, that they win that game. If they find a way to win that, 
I will be very impressed. I'll just say that. I will be very impressed uh, with the Wildcats and John Calipari and what they're doing. Nick Smith and Anthony Black getting downhill towards mm-hmm. Kentucky, towards the rim against Kentucky seems like a massive issue waiting to happen for Calipari. If they can figure out a way to stop those guys from getting to the rim, uh, they got a good chance, but uh, good luck. Not a lot of people have figured, I mean, Nick Smith hasn't been around all that long uh, with the injuries, but not a lot of people have stopped those guys. So that's going to be, it's going to be a tricky one. Lance, I wanted to kind of talk about, the, we, we've mentioned the Hubert Davis and the North Carolina comparison already, and, and UCLA did a similar thing. They, you know, they barely made the NCAA tournament in 2021 as a play in 11 seed, went on that massive run all the way to the final four before getting beat by Gonzaga in that game. And we, it's kind of interesting that we've seen these blue blood programs, I mean, North Carolina, Kentucky, UCLA, that's about as blue as it's going to get. Uh, in the last few years, kind of all do this same thing. And, and all the situations are obviously different for their own ways, but it's unique that you don't see a lot of lesser known teams kind of get hot at the right time and make deep runs. It happens, but it's not always the case. Maybe it's just because there's more attention on teams like North Carolina, Kentucky, UCLA. That could just be, it could be as simple as that, but I'm curious if you think there's any kind of rhyme or reason for, for some of these. I mean, is it just that they have a lot of talent and just didn't figure out how to put it together until the right time? I think it is just simply talent acquisition. I, th- mm-hmm. I think it is just looking at some of these in- individual players on the roster and realizing, oh, yeah, we do have two or three five stars on hand that have just mm-hmm. not seen their full potential. Oh, and again, it goes back to what I'm saying about Cal utilizing this rotation. I mean, he's getting the best out right now out of the National Player of the Year, yeah. uh, a former transfer that you could argue is, is the caliber of a four-star. You got a five-star guard starting for you. You got a Bob Cousy Award finalist off your bench. You know, right. you've got one of the best three-point shooters in this nation a season ago on, off your bench as well. Uh, you got a five-star at small forward. You got a five-star backup at power forward. You got a five-star backup at center. I mean, you've got all of this talent, mm-hmm. and I think it's just finally for teams like Kentucky, teams like North Carolina, teams like UCLA, these blue bloods that consistently bring in the best of the best out of high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is just a realization uh, yeah. of uh, finding out how to get the pieces to fit together and – it's with, with a team like Kentucky this year, with the field being the way that it is, I'm not saying that they're going to win the title. Not saying they're going to win the title. Mm-hmm. But dang, does it look like the, the door is wide open for the Wildcats to make a run like North Carolina did a season ago. Well, you mentioned getting off of that out of that seven to 10 range, which is kind of the dreaded. Uh, it's really hard to even get to the sweet 16 from this spot kind of range and, and, and being on the sixth seed. And I noticed uh, you were talking about this on Twitter earlier today. So I'm going to put you on the spot and talk about it. Uh, Missouri is higher in a lot of the bracketology reports. You kind of compared their two resumes and it certainly looked like Kentucky has a better resume. So my question is just kind of more overall. Do you think. Kentucky's early season start coupled with their notoriety with Calipari, with National Player of the Year, Oscar Sheboy, all of that. Do you think that that has kind of combined to create a situation where bracketologists and ideally, I mean, potentially the Selection Sunday Committee as well, like, do you think that there's a a chance that they're undervaluing Kentucky because of how prominent, how big of a news story it was that this team struggled early in the year? Yes, I, I definitely think that's a ca- that's the case here. And look, when you look at Kentucky's resume compared to Missouri's, I mean, like you mm-hmm. said, I walked through it earlier. I mean, just about every single category, they have a better quad one record in terms of win percentage. Uh, they have more quad two victories. They have a significantly stronger strength of schedule. They're higher than the, in the net by 29 spots. I mean, all mm-hmm. signs point to Kentucky being better, but it is that early season slump. Yeah. that kind of tank the Wildcats and they're climbing back up. And let me tell you what hurt, what's going to hurt Kentucky the most and is currently hurting them the most right now. It's that quad four loss to South Carolina at home. Yeah. 
That's at the end of the day, if Kentucky ends up going on a run and they have the ability to move up to a four seed as opposed to staying as a five, mm-hmm. that quad four loss to South Carolina at the end of the day is what's going to kill them. Yeah. And so it absolutely is. The, not only the narrative, I think, but it mm-hmm. is the individual results losing so early in the season and having to fall and mm-hmm. then catch your way back up instead of mm-hmm. rising and falling. Another team that I cover actually closely, Andy, is Auburn. Yeah. And you notice how they started the season strong with not particularly the best strength of schedule. Right. And they're starting the fall. And I just ran through the numbers in an article that I wrote. They could lose out, and they still have a 50-50 chance of getting in, according to the analytics over at Bart, Tov- uh, Bart Torvik. Yeah. So it's all about starting well, mm-hmm. I think, in the analytics. And obviously, like we've talked about, finishing well, peaking. Mm-hmm. And, well, duh, you got to play well all season. But, but right. the point being here, to answer your question, absolutely, yes, I do think that the early season slump has affected the Wildcats and their seeding as we move closer to the postseason. It's interesting because the analytics favor early season hot starts and and you would imagine that people, the selection committee, recency bias is just a permanent thing. Like you can't really remove that as much as you might try to. It's difficult to do. So for a team like Kentucky playing well at the end of the year probably helps them with the selection committee playing well at the beginning of the year helps with the analytics. So like you said, you kind of just got to, you got to just play well the whole season long, you know, winning matters. you got to win your games. You can't have those ugly ones. And, and as much as that South Carolina loss is probably going to cost Kentucky a seed line. I think you can make an argument that, that it should like it probably should cost them a seed line as much as it can be frustrating to get on a hot streak towards the end of the year and, and not feel like you're getting that respect. And I think the comparison with Missouri totally makes sense, but you can't lose those kind of games. I mean, they're just absolutely killer when you look at those resumes to be able to, to, to drop a game like that to a team like that. It's, it's brutal. No, no, it definitely should count. I, I agree with you. And, mm-hmm. and that's the reason why the net rankings were invented and implemented, right? Sure. Is, is you need okay. the significance of analytics to back things up past, mm-hmm. like you said, recency bias. So it's absolutely fair. And at the end of the day, we just got to see where Kentucky falls. Last thing here for you, Lance, I kind of want to talk about the odds of making a successful run in the NCAA tournament. We've talked about that they have the horses, they have the talent, they're peaking at the right time, all of that stuff. There's a lot of people attempting to guess what are the biggest keys to make having a successful run in the NCAA tournament. And there are things we can point to from an analytical perspective, from a just eye test perspective that generally matter fairly significantly. Kentucky has a lot of them. Kentucky is also missing some of them. Uh, shooters on the perimeter is a big one, a dynamic low post scorer. Obviously they have that. Uh, they have a top 15 offense in the country. That's huge. Uh, no, in, using Ken Palm data, no team has ever won the national championship with an offense below 40th. Uh, so for, for Kentucky to be well above that is fantastic. However, no team has ever won the, and this is in the Ken Palm era. So since 2002, I believe mm-hmm. no team has ever won the NCAA tournament with a overall adjusted defensive ranking of lower than 22nd Kentucky, as we're talking right now, Lance 78th. So it seems like they got a little bit of work to do on the defensive end. We talked about the rim protection, like, do you think there's an ability to overcome those obstacles? Maybe not winning the whole thing, but like to make that kind of run to end up in the elite eight, uh, at least the sweet 16, maybe the elite eight. Do you think they have the ability to do that? Or do you think that those issues, namely the defense, I think there's, you could argue there's an issue with the lack of veteran guard experience. I think they do have that, but Casey Wallace is their best guard. He's obviously not an experienced player. I'm curious if you think that those are obstacles that this team can overcome or if that's going to be the kind of thing that, that ends up burying them in March. 
you may not like this answer. I'm going to say maybe for a couple of reasons. <laughs> Number enough. one, I do think that if you talk about, again, this field, I just do, I feel strongly about this year's situation and that yeah. it could be, as we've seen for the past several years, it could be extremely chaotic. Yeah. And so I definitely think that leaves a team like Kentucky, who is younger, who maybe does lack experience in certain areas. I think it does give them the opportunity to maybe take advantage of some situations or a draw mm-hmm. or momentum or different things right. like that. Um, but at the same time, like you mentioned, you make a great point. Defensively, this team has been porous uh, mm-hmm. whenever it comes to protecting the rim especially. And so mm-hmm. you also look at the depth that this team has. Again, I want to reiterate, they've been playing their starting five essentially yeah. uh, for these past several games up until this Auburn game, and they did empty out the bench. But before that, Kentucky got nine deep in their rotation before things got ugly. And mm-hmm. so they're finally starting to figure out how to maybe play with a little bit more depth off this bench. And getting those guys to contribute, I think, will be significant. But they haven't all year because mm-hmm. Cal's played them this way. Right. So I'm just I'm not quite sure. Um, some signs would point to no. But again, I keep coming back to Kentucky's got all the momentum on their side and this thing could be wide open. So I hate to say it, but <laughs> maybe I think maybe. As a fair answer at this point in the stage, at this point in the game, Lance Daw, Locked on Kentucky, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show to talk about the Wildcats. It's going to be a really, really exciting month of March for a variety of reasons, but I think this Kentucky team is going to be a really fun one to watch. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. That was our conversation with Andy Patton of the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Really appreciate him bringing me on to have that discussion about Kentucky. Again, want to reiterate, if you have not checked out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, would highly encourage you guys to do so. So if you're listening on podcast or if you're watching on YouTube, just search it up. It'll come right up. I'll also drop a link to their show in the description. And that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Kentucky. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On UK. You can follow me on Twitter at LanceDahl underscore, and you can follow the show over on Instagram at Kentucky Podcast. Tristan Ferris joins us again tomorrow to help us preview Kentucky versus Vanderbilt. Make sure you stay tuned for that one. Until then, hope you guys have a great rest of your day, and God bless.